You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Whitwan. Well, go with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Some weeks ago, I started to, uh, a series that I've called uh, The Evil Day, and uh, we're going to continue uh, with that this morning. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Father, we thank you that you have provided us with armor, that you have provided us with the tools and the equipment to stand in this evil day. We thank you, Lord, that as good soldiers of faith, we continue to fight the good fight of faith, and we continue, Lord, to promote we continue to witness on behalf of the kingdom of God. Father, that every soul would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So let's just recap a little bit um, from a few weeks ago. First off, God looks at his creation, mankind, differently than we do. He doesn't look at us through a natural set of eyes. He doesn't look at us economically, nationally, by our skin color, by our gender, or our education. God looks at us through a lens of faith. Jesus was not concerned also about offending people. He was looking for people of faith. And Jesus offended the religious people on a regular basis because religious people are more interested in religion than they are in God. Because really, religion is a form of governmental influence. It's just a different. It's a, you can have a religion that is so governmental that they bind weights around people's necks with so many things they have to do that they can never fulfill them. We looked at our scriptural and historical basis for confronting anti-biblical ideas in our society. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. It's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he did stand up. He stood up to the Germans in World War II and to Hitler. See, evil seeks to control freedom of thought and freedom of speech. They create things like disinformation boards. We're going to be talking about you know, many biblical topics over the next few weeks. Some of these things may offend some. Some of them may be very personal and close to you, but the truth is the truth, and the, the Bible is the Bible, and we are called to live according to the Bible, not according to social norms. So there may be some things that you thought were off limits. Well, I know some of you didn't. But there may be things that people think that are off limits. That's what they told Bonhoeffer. That's what they told Jesus and many others. But the truth is that freedom... Liberty was one of God's greatest gifts to mankind. See, freedom is not just about Independence Day, Veterans Day, or Memorial Day. You know, these help to bring to our forefront the sacrifices of those who put themselves between tyranny and liberty and what they did. But that's not necessarily what freedom is about. See, we're a nation that is formed out of conflict, a nation that has continued in various forms of conflict for now, 200 and almost 50 years. In fact, it is before we were a nation. 
the Framing Fathers, were in a position of conflict. A nation that has time and time again stood up and opposed tyranny and evil. See, tyranny is the imposition of one's will upon another. It's oppression, it's dictatorship, it's uh, domination, it's totalitarianism, and the like. It's diminishing the inalienable rights of others. Inalienable rights, those are unseparable rights. They're rights that were given by God. Tyranny opposes God's plan for for mankind and is the opposite of liberty. You know, through its founding, these United States is and has been a nation formed by predominantly godly people with a godly vision for godly liberty. 95% of the 250 framers were Orthodox Christians, and they were very outspoken about their faith. And here in 2020, um, and I know you can find it online, we talked about the framers and and the, the Christian formation of this nation. Now, they've tried to rewrite history in our public schools. And they're teaching kids, and they're trying to teach young people that we are not a Christian nation, we're a sectarian nation. And we tolerate Christianity because the Constitution requires us to. But it is not based in any historical fact. The fact is, we are a nation under God in the pursuit of and in defense of liberty for all peoples. And conflict still exists today. Unfortunately, like we have not seen since the Civil War. See, it's a battle between ideas. The Civil War was a battle between ideas. Prior to the forming of the Constitution, many of the northern states had already outlawed slavery because of their Christian um, influence. They understood that all men were created equal. And no matter the color of your skin or the nation of your birth did not diminish that fact. And it was this idea that brought this nation into great conflict that pit citizens of these United States against each other. We are still in a battle of ideas. Today's battle of ideas really can be, um, I guess, shrunk down to say we have a battle right now going on between the difference of federalism and nationalism. See, nationalism is a sense of national conscience, exalting one's nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on the promotion of its culture and its interests. See, initially, this sounds like patriotism. We think, yes, we are all members of the United States. The United States is great. It sounds like like patriotism. But the reality is both federalism and nationalism can be patriotic because you are a patriot or you are in support of your nation. Nazism, almost an epic nationalism applied to downtrodden, uh, appealed to not downtrodden Germans still suffering from the humiliation from the defeat of World War I. See, Nazism is nationalism that has been taken over because it appeals to those who were strong Germans, right? Hey, we are Germans, we feel bad, but let's get behind this nation and let's, let's be strong and, and let's come out of this 
problem that we have. And there's this great spokesman, this, 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 this great orator who's strong. His name is Adolf. And if we just get behind him, he'll fix all of Germany's woes if we just stand behind him. See, they were being patriotic, but their government was nationalistic. And it allowed the Nazi party to rise to power. Communism, totalitarianism, and fascism are all forms of nationalism. See, fascism is a form of far-left authoritarian and and unitransnationalism characterized by dictatorial powers, forcible suppression of opposition. Now, in our modern culture, we can point to that kind of stuff happening today. Where if you don't agree with somebody else's opinion, they will not only drown you out, but they will snuff you out. It is amazing to me how people will call one party a name. Socialist, a communist, a fascist. And yet they're doing everything that would be a definition of what those things are. It's like if we just call the other side those names long enough, loud enough, nobody will realize that we are actually being what we're saying. And we're seeing that more and more in our nation. Federalism is the distribution of power in an organization, such as a government, between a central authority and its constituents. We call this a representative republic. It's where the government answers to the people, where power is distributed. And in our case, it's distributed amongst what are now 50 states. When the Constitution was formed, obviously, there were only the 13 colonies that became 13 states. But the idea was to allow local government to handle local issues, distribute the authority, distribute the power. See, the United States of America had just, in its founding, had just been in conflict with a nationalistic government called Britain, where if you opposed King George, you were sentenced to die. So a representative republic distributes. Now, I know what you're thinking. How does this relate to the Bible? I'm in church, aren't I? Well, we'll get there. It is reported that Benjamin Franklin was asked, well, Mr. Franklin, what do we have, a monarchy or a republic? And he said, a republic, if you will keep it. The real question is, will we keep it? Or will we continue to allow socialists, Marxists, politicians push God out of the public square? This is why history is so important. If you go back and look at Nazi Germany in, in the formation of the, of the socialist party that, that was the Nazi party and, and this nationalism that came, effect, came around, what did they attack? They attacked free speech. They, they attacked free thought. Books were burned. You could only be a certain race. You could only be a certain alignment in order to fit within their nationalistic view of life, and they pushed God out of the public square. So therefore, there was no baseline, there was no center for for government. 
But now they're trying to silence this republic by dilution. Because the more central they can make power, the less your voice can be heard. But see, you still have a vote because you still have a voice. Your voice can vote with a literal ballot to elect representatives, people to represent you the way you think, what you believe in. People who will run government the way you believe it should be run. And as believers, we should want the government run the way God said it should be run. The other thing you have is you have another voice, and it's called your money. Your money is your voice. I'm talking not just about boycotting, but I'm talking about finding out who you're spending your money with. And if there are organizations who are supporting and spending their resources, investing in and promoting things that are anti-Christ, anti-biblical, quit giving them your money. We have seen several large corporations who have become woke. That's the new term in our society. We have seen them put the brakes on and have a dramatic turnaround with regards to their wokeness when their finances got hit. We are a strong force, church, if we ever get together and say, hey, we believe in this and we will only spend our money with companies who believe like we believe. We're a mighty force. Companies will take heed and they will start to listen. So you do have a voice because you do have a vote and you can choose where to spend your resources. So we talked about nationalism and federalism. But let's realize that in the midst of this, that God's plan is a relational one. See, this plan that he laid out for us, and this is why it's so important to understand that 95% of the 250 framers of the United States Constitution and, and the government were Orthodox Christians. Because see, this was the rationale for which this nation was started. And the quotes from people that they have called secularists and atheists and stuff that talk about how God's divine intervention brought about the miracle, which is this United States. How a group of farmers and a group of religious people could come together and defeat the greatest army in the world and lay hold of freedom, lay hold of liberty, and establish a constitution that if we're willing to keep it intact, will serve for many, many, many generations, decades, and centuries to come. But see, God is relational. Go with me to Genesis 1:28, Because what I want to do is I want to look at how God's government set up and established and correlate it to what I'm talking about today. In Genesis 1.28, God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God did not say, Appoint yourself a king and set up a government. He told mankind, You have freedom, be responsible, and go do this thing, and prosper, and bless this world that I have created. Even in the Declaration of Independence, it says that to secure these rights, 
Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. See, it's relational. It's people like you and I coming together and saying, hey, wouldn't it be good to have a school or have a church? Or wouldn't it be good to, to farm this land? Wouldn't it be good to do these things? Wouldn't it be good to subdue the earth? Let's do this in relationship. You know, there was a time, you know, 100 years ago when the church was the meeting place for the community where people came together with different views, different ideas. They debated them and they, they, they implemented the things that would benefit the community together. See, when God blessed Abraham, he told him he was a great nation. In Genesis 12, verse 2, I want to read from the Amplified. And God said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you with an abundant increase of favors. See, Merriam-Webster says that that means good things, protection, favor, spirit, body, and financial. And it goes on to say, and make you a name famous and distinguished, which means you would have influence and notoriety, and you will be a blessing, dispensing good to others. See, that was God's plan, is that we would come together as a nation to dispense good to others. It wasn't until Jacob, or we know that God changed his name to Israel, it wasn't until Israel that God noted their tribes, the 12 of them. It wasn't until his descendants that God established the tribes so that there would be states or nations within a nation responsible for what God had called them to do. Eleven with a promise of inheritance in the land and one with a promise of the spiritual requirements of God. It wasn't until Moses that God brought an arbiter, Moses, for Israel under the law, under God's law. God says, great, I have a great nation. I'm going to bring you out and bring you into a land. And Moses will be your arbiter. He will be the one that I speak to. He gave him the law and gave him the vision and a nation with a divine direction. Right? So Israel had a divine direction. It is a pattern. And it is a pattern that the framers of our Constitution used. And after Moses, Joshua became the leader. And he wrote that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, in verse 8 of Joshua 1. But you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. See, God believes in self-governance. They didn't need a government. They had God's law, which Jesus summed up very easily. He says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul, right? And he said, and the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And see, if you'll do those things, we don't need all these other things in government. You can self-govern. Don't go beat your neighbor over the head with a baseball bat. That's not love. And we won't need a homicide squad. We won't need a shoplifting squad. Because if you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. We're not going to need marriage counselors. Because if you love your wife, you guys are going to work through things. And you're not going to go sleep with your neighbor's wife or covet his property. 
God said it's pretty easy. You can be self-governed if you have a moral guide. I'll give you my word, God says. Follow it. The law was given so we would know right from wrong, good from evil. Joshua said, speak the word and do it. That'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. The principle for which our constitution voices, or if you like big words, espouses. Our constitution speaks this, that we should be a self-governed people. See, God did not give Israel a king. He gave him a deliverer and prophet in Moses. He gave him a priesthood in the, in the Levites. He gave him the law, and Moses established judges, independent arbiters of justice and, and guidance. So when there were conflicts, it's just like, hey, go before the judge on this minor thing. This guy will figure it out for you. And if it's something real complicated, okay, then Moses says it comes to the Supreme Court. It comes, comes up here. But after Moses, we read in jo Judges 2, 7 and 10, as Joshua became the leader, it says, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done in Israel. And when all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. See, after Joshua, Israel's ability to freely honor God gave them the ability to freely love God, worship Him, or to forsake Him. And that's where we're at here in America today. There is rising up a generation who has not been taught our history, has not been taught our, our beginnings, who has not heard prayer in school, who have not stood up and saluted the flag and, and, and know that we have a nation that is under God, worthy of defense. After about 350 years, that God rules over the nation of Israel from 1400 B.C. to about 1050 B.C., there are judges. God appoints these judges so people can be freely given. given. After about these 350 years, mankind cried out to God and said, Hey, enslave us! Make us like other nations! You know, it's really amazing to me, because Israel had been enslaved for 430 years, and they had cried out, Free us from Pharaoh! Free us from this king! Free us from this tyranny, this oppression! And now they're crying out for a king again, just 350 years later. Why? Because they had lost the vision of their history. They said, we think a king would know better. We think a king telling us what to do would do it better. We want governmental rule over us. We opt for nationalism over federalism. And so the kings ruled in Israel from 1050 to 723 for about 300 years. I don't know about you, I understand in Britain they're excited about the queen and all of that stuff. But I'm excited in America that we don't have a king and a queen. That based on somebody's birthright, they have some hierarchy right that I have to support and pay for over me. No, I have the right to freely govern myself, just as you do. Today in America, there is more and more a call to centralize the power in the federal government. This here is the 10th Amendment to our Constitution. It says, The power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, 
nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. See, local governance is where you can voice, but when it becomes a federal issue, you lose your voice. Your voice is so diluted. Because then politicians can, can come back to your state and say, yes, I know what you need, I know what you want, I hear you, I hear you. However, there are 49 other states that are voting against what I would do for you. So elect me again so I can go back to that swamp of Washington where it's a pit of deception. But see, the more you take the centralization there, the less you get to be heard. And the more you give up your freedom and your rights. The more the states and individuals give up their rights to the United States federal government, the smaller their voice becomes. That's why power-hungry politicians and activists are pushing for centralized power. Things like federal voting laws, where the federal government runs the elections. That should scare you. What has the federal government ever done better than the states can do it? We see how hard it is for the states to do it. You think the federal government trying to do it for 350 million people is going to be better? What can the federal government do better than you? And I can do it. Voicing into our local governments. Look at their failures. The war on drugs. It's worse now than when they started it. Federal education system is an absolute travesty. Their welfare and their war on poverty has been an absolute failure. Even something as simple as their speed limit. Remember the federal 55-mile-an-hour speed limit law? That didn't work. I wasn't a big rock and roll fan, but I think it was Sammy Hagar that sang, I can't drive 55. Price controls. The border. Religion. Social Security. None of it the government can do better. And if anything is, is in modern day showing how poor the federal government is at doing anything for us, it's this COVID disaster. They have no idea. But what is, what is their response to an emergency? Take away the freedoms of the American people. Put them in masks. Make them shoot poison into their body. And we'll call it science, even though we have nothing to back it up. And we'll say, because somebody's been in, in, in Washington, D.C. for 50 years, who's a virologist, we'll say that whatever he says is true science. That's not how science works. The reason there are so many suits in this nation against drug companies is because even with clinical testing, most drugs have some kind of side effects. But what was I told for two years? Oh no, there will be no side effects with this. No, nobody's dying from this vaccine. Nobody's doing this. They couldn't even get this right. And yet they want all of this to be centralized in Washington. The attacks on your protected rights, freedoms, liberties are part of this power grab. On your freedom of speech. On your freedom of religion. On your right to protections. And your right to privacy. Let me just say here, because I know a lot of you are, are gun carriers, the answer to the problem with mass shootings is not less guns, it's more guns. I mean, if you're a criminal and you think, I can go into a place with 200 people and know there's no guns there, and I can take all the guns and ammunition I want, we call those soft targets. You know, I had to, we had to organize around here a little bit too, because I knew how many of you guys carry firearms. 
And I thought, if we ever had an incident in this place, and somebody was coming to the pulpit, I'd probably have 10 or 12 guns pointed at me. Well, that's a good thing. But the answer to things like that are the opposite of what's coming out of Washington. It's not about taking away your rights. And just so to be clear, the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution was not developed for hunters. It was developed so that the citizenry could be armed in case the government became tyrannical and tried to impose their will upon the rights of the people. See, the framers of the Constitution understood Not only did they understand these things, but they also understood the true cost of liberty. And let me end with this quote. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. It's in the Declaration of Independence, but it first came out of Philippians 3.8. Do we still have that courage, that backbone to stand up to the voices that are speaking against us, to the politicians trying to silence us? It's the difference between whether we will remain a godly nation or become a nation of oppressed. Father, I thank you that you have given us armor. And I thank you, Father, that I wear my full armor so that I can withstand in this evil day. And Father, I know that there are those who want to call what we call sensibility or even your word evil. But really, you gave us your word so that we can live as self-governed people in unity, in love, preferring one another. And I thank you, Father, for the power and the influence to be able to communicate this message, this message of the gospel. We give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus According to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480 480- That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com. Or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.